Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Still life for the Raptors after a classic win. 118-112 over the Bucks in double overtime. An absolute defensive struggle. And obviously with a game like this, uh, we'll break it down for you with the key plays uh, at the end. But just overall here, does this game change your impression of where this series is going? Yes, somewhat. So in especially in game two, the Bucks completely outclassed the Raptors. And so thought something has to change in order for this to be more competitive, you know, more than a blip. And I do think the most important part, the thing that makes it more than a blip for the Raptors is the job that Kawhi Leonard adjusting, putting him on Giannis did. And so I went through, so Giannis 5 of 16 from the field did have 23 rebounds, seven assists, but also had eight turnovers and fouled out. We'll talk about that later. But I went through- Two of seven from the free throw line too. Also also important, yeah. Free free throws, a part of the story of this game. Yeah, Kawhi didn't have anything to do with that. Correct. His he was intimidating. But the but so I went back and watched all of Giannis's makes. One of them was actually mismarked, so I really watched four out of five. First of all, all five of his makes were around the basket. He was five of nine in the restricted area, zero for three from floater, missed his mid-ranger, and then missed three three-pointers all above the break. But when I watched all five of those makes, two were in transition of the of the four that were available. Two were in transition, two were in the half court, and none of them were what I would call on Kawhi Leonard, which I thought was notable considering that was his primary matchup for the minutes they shared yeah and and that is really notable some of the times that that you'll recall Giannis trying to take it to Kawhi it just didn't work he had one layup where he kind of got knocked off balance a little bit there was the attempt in the first overtime where Kawhi tied him up followed by that awful jump ball by Scott Foster uh that the Raptors were able to control and for whatever reason I mean Kawhi Jimmy Butler said it last round this guy is the strongest guy in the NBA and maybe Kawhi is the guy who actually has the strength to avoid getting completely bowled over while also being able to move his feet well enough and then uh, keep in mind Kawhi's hands too Giannis is not used to being guarded by guys at this point in time who have the type of hands that Kawhi does so if he exposes the ball now he's going to get tied up he's going to get stripped and it really looked like Giannis did not have much of a plan and it was different much different I thought than against Al Horford in that game one because in that game at least Giannis was going to the basket and you know Horford was probably getting away with some fouls he was missing a bunch of layups but he at least was able to get shots he wasn't even able to get shots in this game and people were complaining oh he hasn't taken any free throws until the fourth quarter well the guy took three shots in the paint how are you supposed and I think he made all of them you know but how are you supposed to get more free throws when you're not even shooting the ball in the paint and missing you know there weren't plays where there was contact that was let go so yeah Kawhi was outstanding I mean and then to be able even though 
was a slog for Toronto on on the offensive end as I think it's always going to be for them in this series uh, other than the first quarter when they were shooting it well from three it's uh amazing that Kawhi was able to score as well as he could some of that came with Giannis having fouled out of the game which made a huge difference later as we'll talk about but I mean just an incredible performance for Leonard to do what he did defensively on Giannis and the Bucks certainly tried everything they could to get someone else switched onto Giannis but then Toronto came with hard double teams and we said this on the NBA cast that this has really been the playoffs where the hard double team has come back at this point but all that said I know Milwaukee starter had more than five made field goals Middleton was three of 16 Bledsoe was three of 16 Giannis Middleton and Bledsoe combined for 15 turnovers and 13 made field goals in this game the Bucks eventually ended up shooting only 32 percent from downtown and yet they're right there this entire game and I think while I have more confidence in Toronto's defense going forward what I don't necessarily have confidence in is the Raptors offense and maybe this ends up being a slog and it's just closer that way going forward here because I mean this is a wonderful Raptors defense but certainly with the two banked wins and and the home court Milwaukee remains firmly in control despite some signs from the Raptors. Another reason the Bucks might be in firmer control is we don't currently know the status of Kawhi Leonard's quad. He looked limited. If that's what it was. We don't even know that that's what it was. Yeah, if that's what, wait, if whatever was ailing him, he did yeah. not look right physically during it, the, it was the, if it was the quad, it was the opposite leg from the yes. one that he had all the trouble with last the year. The tendinopathy, correct. And, but he didn't look right. And you could even see it when he had that big dunk. I believe that was in the first overtime. And and he was just kind of no, like, that was second overtime. Second overtime, and he was shaking it off a little bit. I mean, he did come back and had that gargantuan steal and finish, but he didn't look quite right. And sometimes, in the heat of the moment, you can kind of pull through it and and do okay. And then a couple of days later, you know, playing every other day like both of these series are, it, it flares up, and they need him at his best in order to be competitive in this series. Something else that I thought was notable about this game, you, you brought up, you know, a lot of the the Bucks support players not playing well but I thought Marcus Gasol especially in the early part of this game really did step up and he was more impactful defensively that was a, a concern that we had voiced throughout the preceding two games of the series but also offensively not uniformly but significantly closer to it than he had done earlier in this series when the Bucks were conceding open shots to Gasol he was just taking them. yeah he had two threes in the first quarter finished four of eight from downtown had a massive one in the second overtime that put him ahead for good also uh seven assists for Gasol the the Raps uh were able to ping the ball around a little bit more at least they still couldn't shoot it at all but uh they at least had 28 assists on their 40 made field goals though they shot only 39 percent overall uh but yeah he was outstanding I thought he was real helpful uh, in the double teams that on Giannis clogging the lane he forced a turnover uh, by Giannis in the first overtime when Giannis tried to take him one-on-one did a good job of of running Brooke Lopez off the line but really it was just that aggressiveness and from three and Nick Nurse said before the game in addition to saying that there would be lineup changes which there were not in terms of his starting lineup there were in terms of the matchups uh but he also said hey you know Brooke Lopez is camping out in the lane he carked that there were he committed 15 defensive three second violations in, in game two but uh he said the important thing is that we got to have someone who can shoot and stretch the floor and finally Gasol was aggressive and, and finally uh hit that hit that shot after he had gone three of 20 in the first 
first two games um worth noting though at least for toronto that cal lowry fouled out he was plus 15 in this game uh, and so that hamstrung them down the end and that they were really able to be in control most of the way down the end they had a couple of really awful blown leads in the last minute of regulation and ot and then the other thing i thought really worked well which was somewhat of a hybrid of what we had talked about doing or at least i did of putting the center on eric bledsoe siakam was taken off of Giannis and put onto bledsoe and then he was able to be much more active as a helper so really you know that caused more problems for Giannis as well in milwaukee usually gets this parade to the rim uh but they finished 20 out of 38 at the rim for the game in uh the 58 minutes of action danny green also had a rough night the, the only shot he made was his last shot of the night he hit that that three-pointer that was important and he was largely marginalized in favor of norm powell powell started off the game incredibly hot i believe he had 10 points in the first quarter or maybe it was in the first half and ended up with 19 on 7 to 13 from the field three of five from three and he he ended up fouling out as well there were some especially his the last call against him was was one that i'm i'm very skeptical of but he really did provide a lot of value and i mean having a a, a real positive coming from the bench and yeah he has he, he sometimes makes silly defensive plays and all that kind of stuff but i thought he really did give the raptors some life and so if danny green had an off night they had somebody else they could turn to in that rotation and it got it got a little hairy once kyle lowry went out he's another great example of a player who you also notice a lot by his absence because Toronto's offense just fell off a cliff when he wasn't playing and that was why I kept on thinking they were going to lose in the overtimes but they pulled together enough and they also played some damn great defense during those overtimes to force tough bucks possessions and then capitalize a little bit on that speaking of capitalizing on that another thing that we should talk about because I mean part of the thing about doing this for the NBA cast we're watching it a little bit differently Toronto did a pretty good job in the early part of the game they weren't really turning the ball over that much but they were giving up a ton in transition anyway because they just weren't executed yeah and you know they did have some very key offensive rebound in this game to be sure but i thought they also gave up some key fast breaks and especially because their half court defense was so impenetrable in this game i found it really damaging that they hit the offensive glass so much and and toronto did finish with eight offensive rebounds that's a, a pretty low rate there 11 percent for the game and they gave up i think 23 fast break points in the first half and especially in the first quarter when toronto really controlled the action they led by one after the first quarter the only offense milwaukee had i think milwaukee only had two two-point field goals in the first quarter and just were hitting everything in terms of fast break threes and john schumann had this stat which was a good one coming into tonight and this only i'm sure increased milwaukee was seven for 19 on threes in the first six seconds of the shot clock and 26 percent on threes later in the clock than that i think that really proved to be the case as well so with toronto's defense being so good yeah i think that there's a desire to get more offense and they really tried to push the ball up and get some fast break points of their own but i really think it's not a great strategy you know danny green lowry gasol is not a great offensive rebounder these guys try and go to the glass and then they just don't get back 
back and and then also toronto just doesn't do a good enough job i think of matching up in transition and they just had a lot of plays where they let guys walk into wide open threes just because they were worried about getting the right matchup instead of just a matchup a telling stat here from cleaning the glass milwaukee and this is full credit to toronto milwaukee had a 73 offensive rating in the half court but they were only in the half court for 72 percent of their plays which is an exceedingly low proportion so their transition frequency was incredibly high and they were effective on those both teams were you know reasonably effective in transitions just that milwaukee got out and ran and so they were able to overcome that great toronto half court defense by just facing it less all right much more to talk about on this game to be sure i want to tell you first though about everlane would you buy a t-shirt for 50 bucks if you knew it only cost seven dollars to make no why would but why would anybody ever tell you how much their clothes cost to make well everlane has decided to do that they are incredibly transparent about their real costs and every step in the process from their materials the ethical factories that they work with and everlane sells directly to you so their prices are 30 to 50 percent lower than traditional retailers so they have no fear about telling you how much their stuff costs to produce because it's you're actually being sold the merchandise at a price that's fair instead of some three dollar t-shirt being sold for 50 bucks and you're not paying for some brand name you're just getting premium essentials using the finest materials i really uh love their seven inch shorts which my wife recommended for me generally wasn't as into those but uh she suggested them and seems to like them which is uh, what's important now that i'm married i've uh, given up my own fashion sense but fortunately my wife's is superior they've got great japanese denim made at the world's cleanest denim factory italian made leather shoes they just came out with some really nice workout shoes uh, as well the way to get started with them is at everlane.com slash cap space slash cap space we talk about all the time on the program that's everlane.com slash cap space you also get free shipping on your first order if you go to that link everlane.com slash cap space we talk about cap space quite often here on the program so don't forget to add that slash cap space url and let them know that it came from us anything else you want to talk about on the meat of this game here before we talk about how it went down in the last 15 minutes or so yeah just briefly after his star turn in game two airson yusova really came back to came back to earth and that him only playing 13 minutes did put a little bit more wear and tear on the rest of milwaukee's players now a lot of those guys did well you know george hill and malcolm brogdon were important and Connaughton didn't play that much i actually thought he looked pretty good when he was out there he was a big beneficiary of that lax toronto transition defense during the first quarter in particular but something budenholzer is going to have to grapple with is this was another game when eric bledsoe i would argue was the worst of the what we would call like the kind of traditional guards for milwaukee i would say that's the trio of bledsoe george hill and malcolm brogdon hill and brogdon outplayed him yeah i do think bledsoe is really important to what they do defensively agreed you know he's better than hill there maybe makes a few more mistakes but he also makes plays george hill is not really a playmaker defensively at this point in his career george hill did lead the team however with 24 points and it took him only 13 shooting possessions to get there only had one turnover which of course is a massive problem for milwaukee uh hill ended up on 37 minutes so did brogdon uh he was really efficient early but uh and finished with 20 points uh on 18 shooting possessions again these are incredible efficiency numbers for this game overall which featured 99 and 94 offensive ratings and toronto only got there due to intentional fouling down the end they were right around that same number uh, as milwaukee despite you know toronto is shooting 38 percent from three and so it really shows uh, how difficult it is when, 
when you're below a point per possession despite shooting 38 percent from three and taking almost 40 percent of your shots from downtown yeah i thought the loss of Ilyasova was felt he does provide a lot as far as the rim protection aspect he's not gonna block shots obviously but his charge taking and uh his crazy help instincts that can be useful but in this game he had four fouls in his 13 minutes I had one other thing to mention. Yeah. Pascal Siakam is still incredibly handsy, incredibly physical, and it is surprising to me how few fouls he is getting called for in yeah. these games. He had one one of his actual calls was very dubious, but I mean, I, you don't like to say they offset or anything like that because it, each one is a different situation, but he's getting away with a lot. And it was in some ways more striking because he wasn't defending Giannis as much. And so you could see Kawhi getting into the body, not really not fouling Giannis and then Siakam like that was that one play when Giannis kind of drove by him and, and did a little bit of a spin move and Siakam totally grabbed him and they gave Giannis the, the the basket but they didn't give him the end one when it was pretty clearly a foul yeah Siakam was huge in the first half though with 12 points and I thought his drives to the basket were fantastic then he hit two huge corner threes in the third I mean there it was this accordion game again much like game one where Toronto would go up 10 Bucks would come back get within three or two Two, Toronto would extend the lead back out to high single digits. Milwaukee would come back. Toronto would extend it out again. And finally, uh, and Milwaukee really was never able to generate a sizable lead. I think their largest lead of the game was two. Ultimately, they just could not get over the hump. You kept thinking the dam was going to break for the Raptors the way it did in game one late. Uh, but the Raptors deserve a ton of credit where, for how good their defense is. Uh, they have made the Bucks look pretty bad on offense uh, for two of the three games uh, in this series series and i thought siakam his aggressiveness early uh he actually showed some ability to finish around Giannis, and, and the raptors got 10 shots at the rim in that first quarter when they put up 30 points and yeah you know you're gonna get blocked a couple of times when you go against this milwaukee team but to have that level of aggressiveness try and finish it i thought was good for siakam and then he was able to get the three ball going finally hitting some corner threes in that third quarter you remember game one he was 0 for 7 on corner threes really is not had the three-point touch since uh he injured his calf in that game three loss to philly when he was tripping joel and beat so let's talk about the end of this game here i feel like i feel like we should clarify which end of this game because there were we'll start start with like you know four minutes left or so in overtime just just some go through chronologically with with a few observations i thought that milwaukee really bailed toronto out with some bad fouls at times where toronto just again is really fiending for a bucket especially down the end of regulation and yet you know there are off ball fouls siakam got a one out of two free throws on when he got inside position on Giannis on an offensive rebound Chris Middleton committed three blocking fouls on Kawhi out on the floor which eventually gave him five and then they had to switch him off put Brogdon on him and and Brogdon uh, was unable to contain Kawhi in the same way that Middleton could Uh, one of those blocking fouls was probably a bad call but there was uh, definitely a lot of fouling by Milwaukee which generally is not a high foul team that gave the Raptors free points just kind of bailed them out a little bit Uh, Fred Van Vliet hit his one three-pointer uh to give toronto a, a three-point lead both van vliet who was just so off he was one for 11 and danny green was one and nine but both of those guys hit key three-pointers uh, down the end both of them coming off as screens um i think greens was in the first overtime as they got back to a lead i thought what bud did with his substitutions was pretty interesting in what ended up being the last 15 minutes with the two overtimes yeah yeah lopez Giannis, and middleton he kept 
kept them in during the whole time but the rest of those guys got rotated in and out uh you know i thought that with you know hill obviously was better than bledsoe but bledsoe brings some advantages and uh, to just stop playing a guy because he's not playing well in a particular game you know i don't necessarily subscribe to that although bledsoe has struggled overall in the series but yeah he was rotating between brogdon hill bledsoe and miritich obviously brogdon and hill were the better of those but when you've got players who are kind of equal and you're going down the stretch why not keep rotating the fresh guy in uh and you hope that they can make plays i think you know brogdon and hill both had some nice drives they're they're pretty fresh um toronto was actually up five with just over a minute left a commanding position and then there was that controversial play lowry had already fallen out with like six minutes left in the game where bledsoe did a nice job of attacking early with a just over a minute left and a disastrous foul with milwaukee in the bonus Powell fouled him but on the replay it appeared that brooke lopez who was in the midst of changing the angle of the screen gave a little shove to Powell, and that shoved him into bledsoe and caused him to commit the foul but very difficult to see that as referees so but bledsoe only made one out of two in what would be a uh precursor of things to come uh, on both sides yeah uh that that became a, a story later on in this and and i mean i think also as we're getting down to this you you it was another example of Kawhi's value you know the the attention that he's drawing the the, the seams that he was creating in the defense as few as they were because the bucks defense like the raptors defense was very very good in this game but then that did lead to a fred van fleet wide open three that did not go in like most of his threes did not in this game yeah it was a wide open corner three after Kawhi, for one of the rare times was able to get to his right hand uh, around middleton and per usual the raptors failed to get back too many guys under the rim uh, Kawhi has gotten to be pretty bad overall as a transition defender uh, and in part because it seemed like he couldn't really sprint very well throughout a, a lot of this game whether that was fatigue or whatever potential injury he suffered but Malcolm Brogdon was able to attack a, a scrambled defense they get the two for one it was just an incredible play by him he just snuck a quick reverse layup around Kawhi and part of why I mean this Brogdon you remember he had a, a big layup against the Celtics last year and I want to say it was game for a lot of why i think he's good at the end of games is because he just goes right away and makes a quick decision especially now under buddies not doing that dribble the ball instinctively the and not go anywhere the moment he catches it just someone who's willing to be like i'm gonna go right now before the defense gets here so many guys want to slow it down and really make sure at the end of games i think his attack game works uh, pretty well we saw that a, a few times uh, at the end here so that got the bucks within two yeah it got the bucks within two and importantly happened quickly enough that they got the two for one and then the Raptors couldn't run it all the way out they did call a full timeout though to try to try to settle things not that that pr- produced any significant fruit well and then uh, Fred Van Vliet misses this uh, impossible pull up and they get transition again and Middleton had a three in transition which eh, you know tough to say whether that's the right decision or not it seemed like an okay look but you know he'd been ice cold all game he also maybe saw Gasol coming and thought he was going to get a foul and that was that was very borderline I think because Gasol was coming from the side and kind of got him with his chest and just bumped him and wasn't technically in his landing area the referees didn't want to give a three-shot foul to a great free throw shooter at that point in the game and and I think that's a reasonable no call there I I think especially on a three-shot foul you really got to be entirely sure if you're the referee do you agree at a certain point you have to make a value judgment but that is such a game swinging call that I I think you can you, you it's been it's good to be 
pretty damn close to sure. And I didn't think it was sufficient, personally. It was it yeah. was it was close. And also Van Vliet had done a swipe on the play. I don't think Van Vliet fouled Middleton either. So the combination, I mean, he was clearly infuriated by it. And you missed that three. So down to Pascal Siakam grabs the rebound. And all he has to do, I mean, if he makes both, the game is absolutely over. If he makes one, the game is you know, they're in the Bucks are in significant difficulty, but Yeah, yeah, he missed them both. The second one was in and out and Giannis did a great job of realizing immediately when Siakam got the defensive rebound off that Middleton miss three that he needed to foul and back to the Middleton miss three for just for a second we always say especially on the road going for a tying three if you have a decent look at it is a better proposition than a tying two now if you have a wide open layup okay that's one thing but do you think oh well you're only a 50 percent chance of winning in overtime and that skews the math in favor of the three now this overtime with the, the us feeling like the Bucks are a better team that the Raptors just could not score against them that the dam was going to break at any time that Lowry and Powell had already fouled out you felt like the Bucks were significant favorites going into OT remember Giannis doesn't have his fifth foul at this point either no so the, well the, well yeah but when Middleton takes a shot okay yeah and so now you'd say all that but hey you know they were way down in the first overtime and, and got kind of a lucky comeback or a, a comeback that was aided by Raptors errors and then obviously Giannis ended up falling out and they ended up losing so it's the fact that they did lose an OT you know that's an argument or, or at least a data point in favor of why you do want to take that shot even though it seemed like ah, eh, you know me and it's not like he could have just dribbled right in for a layup there either but in any event two missed free throws from Siakam only up two and they ran a very interesting play which I, I thought was an excellent design they start Giannis way in the backcourt this is a I want to say it was Brad Stevens was one of the first to do this with Isaiah Thomas where they'd start the guy way in the backcourt and try to get him running towards the hoop and they're setting the screen with Lopez Lopez is guarded by Gasol the primary rim protector and so Gasol feels like all right I got to get out on the floor here because if Giannis gets ahead of steam going at me off of this screen we're going to be in big trouble and so that was only the second option on the play the first option is Middleton going towards the corner and then because they have the second option on the play all the help is occupied up top in theory Fred Van Vliet comes over makes an amazing verticality play and for these people are like oh like what are poor little guys to do if you can't take a charge Fred Van Vliet's 5'11 gets his chest onto Chris Middleton enough so that Green who had been beaten by what was a pretty obvious hook from Middleton uh reaching around with his offhand to spin past him Green got the block but then it went right back to Middleton and he was able to tip it back in before and actually I went back and looked at the film the Raptors tried to crash down as soon as Middleton drove and they just couldn't get there in time Siakam in particular good that, that, that makes me happy and there, there was a parallel with the Middleton play and a Yon uh, sorry and a, a Kawhi Leonard one earlier in the game where wing goes up for for a layup players sell out to try to stop him but then because he stayed strong and didn't go down whether that's to try to sell a foul or anything else he's the guy in position to grab the rebound and put it back in and so Middleton grabs the rebound still two seconds left gets it right back in nobody's really in his way there so the game is tied and then that led to another interesting decision because Marcus is the inbounder Giannis is guarding him and it is a you know the worst case scenario barring a five second violation or like a terrible steal is 
overtime. But whether it was the clock in his head or just seeing it, Marcus throws the ball to Siakam with Brooke Lopez on him a mile away from the basket. And it looked like there might have been an opportunity for Kawhi. It wouldn't have been an amazing shot, but it would have been a better shot than the one that Siakam ended up taking. Yeah, and I thought Kawhi really struggled to get open in this game. Middleton made his life very difficult. Whenever there was a switch and Kawhi tried to post up, they would front it. Uh, Toronto didn't do a great job of getting a good angle for that pass to force the guy to go back around behind him. But, you know, Kawhi, whether it was the exhaustion and inability to cut quickly on that leg, whatever it was, you know, he just, and he's not that great at moving off the ball anyway. And so I think Gasol just thought he wasn't going to get open. But I, and a five second violation would have been a disaster there because then Milwaukee could have called timeout to advance the ball. Uh, so yeah, they, they get absolutely nothing there. Go into the second overtime. That's when Danny Green hit that three uh, with Milwaukee was largely switching in this game, but in a screen by the center for Danny Green going to the corner. Interesting play call, good play call. I mean, I don't think that Danny Green is more likely to miss a three because he'd miss the other ones. He's a 45% three-point shooter. Uh, hits a big one, and, and that put Toronto up, and they led basically the entire overtime after that. Milwaukee did not lead in the first overtime. Some of the, the interesting plays was Kawhi forcing that jump ball on Giannis, uh, which was incredible. Uh, Giannis then missed two free throws, finishing two of seven from the foul line. But off that second missed free throw, Lopez and Middleton keep it alive, and Giannis throws an unbelievable cross-court pass to George Hill to tie the game at at 99 and they had just subbed George Hill in uh, for Bledsoe who had uh, continued to struggle and then Middleton the, sorry yeah, go the, ahead, the sorry. other thing that I thought was amazing so you, so you go at this point uh, Siakam rebounds a Kawhi Leonard miss puts it back Siakam then steals the ball from Giannis and Kawhi makes makes that big mid-ranger to put the Raptors up four and you're like okay I think I know where this is going nope not where it's going <laughs> yeah Brogdon had a nice floater after Toronto went way too early with about a minute left in the game you're up four you really need to run the time down as much as possible there with a two possession lead you need to reduce the number of possessions for the other team and they went really about 10 seconds to really Siakam tough contested layup that could have put him up six and maybe ended the game but if you you're probably better off just killing another 10 seconds there and that ended up giving Milwaukee a lot more time I think it had Brogdon goes in for a floater to put him up two and or put him down two I should say and then there was about a 15 second differential after that so another 10 seconds you're looking at maybe seven six seconds left for Milwaukee to come down and score it and tie it um few other notes that that just kind of stuck out to me this overtime just the way that Milwaukee was forcing Kawhi left I mean they've done that very very well in this series Kawhi started taking a little bit more advantage of that uh particularly when they had to switch Brogdon onto Kawhi after Middleton got another fifth uh, got his fifth foul with a reach uh, although Middleton guarded him sometimes on switches but Brogdon had the primary assignment so after that Brogdon floater wraps come down they do run the time down with Kawhi up top he's got Brogdon on him and Brooke Lopez comes over basically to the nail to bother Kawhi and force him to take a three part of this is because they're in a sort of a one four flat set with trying to give Kawhi some space but because three Raptors are on the baseline when the shot goes up 
all three of them went after the offensive rebound when you're up two and Milwaukee gets it they get a fast break and there's no choice but to follow George Hill on the fast break he makes two free throws it was just uh, the ultimate example of Toronto just being too aggressive on the offensive glass against a great transition team and they got burned again so it was really I thought going too early and then three guys to the offensive glass up two with 20 seconds left in the game were just two massive errors by Toronto which they ended up not paying for in the end no not particularly and I, I really did like so I, I I was critical partially there was the five second call, clock in his head with Gasol's pass at the end of the at the end of regulation in overtime I thought what Toronto did was really good it just took a superlative read by Giannis to to make it a lot harder of a shot by Kawhi yeah at the end so they call timeout after those free throws and run a nice play after bud saw what they were running and called a timeout to in theory take away their first option for a play but they get it into Kawhi exactly how they wanted to i was asking with the tide do you go back to middleton on Kawhi as the best defender just for this one possession even knowing that he has the five fouls they didn't elect to do that they went with pride didn't force him left again and toronto was really ready in a nice counter for what they'd done the last time when Lopez was standing at the free throw line and wouldn't let him drive Marcus Gasol actually screened his own man Lopez and Giannis made this unbelievable play seeing that Lopez wouldn't be able to help he sprints all the way from the opposite side of the lane and gets over to bother Kawhi force him into just a little bit more of a fadeaway than he wanted to and the shot was off he would have had a pretty good look over Brogdon from a range where he would have been real comfortable and Giannis did something it was great recognition but also I think you know there's a certain point maybe two seconds left especially against someone like Kawhi who's uh shall we say not looking to pass it in that situation where all right you can go now and go double him because you know there's no way he's gonna have time to pass it and for that guy to get the shot off and so that was a great play by Giannis uh unfortunately Giannis was not long for the game no he was not and I'm sure this call will get plenty of attention and I mean it was an incredibly important one in the scope of the game Pascal Siakam is driving Giannis tries to get his body in front of him Giannis gets called for the blocking foul for me this is a a a great instructive example of why you don't want to put a ref in that situation if you have more to lose than your opponent does and in that circumstance yeah there's a chance that they call the charge on Siakam I believe that would have been his fourth foul now Siakam committed more fouls in the game but that would have been only his fourth called foul and maybe you're preventing a two-point basket but we saw what happened not only I mean the Bucks offense was was something but their defense just fell off a cliff without Giannis and even if you're in the right you know one of those circumstances like we sometimes this comes up in terms of like if you do a strip and you got all ball but you're putting a lot on the official and Pascal Siakam was the aggressor there Pascal Siakam was driving the ball Giannis was trying to get into position so that is going to be called a block a lot of the time I believe it was correctly called in this circumstance but even if let's say it had been incorrectly called I still think it was a mistake by Giannis to put that big a decision in a referee's hand yeah and guess what when you're a seven foot athletic freak and you decide to seek a call sometimes that call is going to go against you and it was a 50 50 play at best he decided to jump in front of him and fall down instead and joe borgia was on nba tv afterwards talking about that play and from the overhead view you could see what he's talking about he said it was correctly called and i think ultimately that it was what you have to be is in the path of the offensive player and you need to be just 
generally squared up to him and in real time it looked like Giannis had squared up but what happened was after the contact occurred he kind of changed his body and squared up as he fell so he really was not in front of him and so if I had to pick one or the other I would pick that that was a blocking foul and as Borgia said too in theory they never call it this way by the way but when it's a tie it's supposed to go to the offensive player and be a blocking foul so again just not a good risk at all by the way Borgia also looked at that supposed travel on that ridiculous euro step by Giannis and concluded it was not a travel he was absolutely right I, I didn't think it was a travel in real time even though uh, the Raptors were, were going nuts um so Giannis falls out and yeah you, you said it some of the drives that they got like Gasol who is, is just has been a pathetic finisher around the rim in this series there's no other way to put it like he had this play <laughs> where he goes up on Lopez he's right there he has an easy layup Lopez is kind of there and he tries to draw the foul and then like pivots around him and throws it into the backcourt uh, this this wasn't in overtime but <laughs> like David Aldridge <laughs> said Gasol had just set a new personal record in the discus like it was just one of the weirdest plays I've ever seen it, it but, reminded yeah. me of Rondo like honestly like some of those plays yeah. where Rondo passes the ball and you have no idea why a pass would ever happen in that situation yeah except if Rondo were seven feet tall yeah uh, if only but but anyway I mean you know that is some of the pressure that Milwaukee puts on you but Gasol pump fakes uh, on Lopez and drives all the way to the rim and Miritich just I don't know why he decided to do this but he did he just kind of clobbered him and you know Gasol got two free throws out of that and I, I think we forget what Giannis is defensively even though you know or probably we don't talk about it enough and you know, it's not just Brook Lopez and Ersan Ilyasova that make this the best rim protecting team of all time and when I say that it's because as far as I could tell at least as, as far as the data went back they allowed the lowest percentage of shots in the restricted area of any team you know going back whatever it is 15 years to as far as the nba has data on that uh i think they allowed like 21 22 percent of shots in the restricted area which is an insanely low number and so we both had them i think number two for our defensive player of the year fake ballots but you know it's forgotten how important he is and even when you go back to the jason kidd era they could never defend at all unless he was on the floor with a worse coach obviously but uh, so that was really huge you know Kawhi got a big layup late when he again probably went too early they're up too but uh, that layup iced the game uh we also got treated to uh or at least I did on the rewatch if you were watching the NBA cast with us you wouldn't have been treated to uh Chris Webber and his discussion of analytics that made absolutely no sense whatsoever something about how analytics made it more difficult for Brooke Lopez to close out on Marcus Gasol at the three-point line <laughs> or maybe he his idea was you shouldn't be worried about taking away the three-pointer and that it's analytics that says that and so then you get things like Brooke Lopez trying to close out I, I don't know what his point was there it was a poor one to, to be sure uh building up this analytics straw man as uh Weber and many of his commentary brethren uh seem well, to like to do for, these days for those who are frustrated by that and did not enjoy the NBA cast for game three of the series it will be back for game four of this series which <laughs> not coincidentally will also be airing on the same network nonetheless Milwaukee still fought back uh, pretty hard Gasol also had this huge play where he almost commits his sixth foul going over Brooke Lopez's back instead the ball goes out of bounds off Lopez Lopez was asking for a few but one wasn't available until the last two minutes of the overtime and so then the Bucks baseline out of bounds fresh 14 inbound it to Gasol at the top of the key Lopez is right there in his face and Lope and Gasol just pulls the three and hits it on him uh after Milwaukee was up two at that point which I think was their only lead in this entire time 
time that we've been talking about uh and then uh toronto would never relinquish the lead again after that three which you know i don't blame gasol for or i don't blame lopez i can't get their names right apparently for thinking that gasol wasn't going to just pull it right in his face given how hesitant he's been but that was just a, an enormous swing there you know gasol could have gotten his sixth foul and then he stays in the game and he hits the the three and he made some other big plays late uh, as well and from that point we we got danny green stealing a pass from bledsoe that led to the the Kawhi, the first Kawhi finish that was that was notable and then it became a little bit of a yeah a the one the one that was a double dribble yes but, but the big left-handed dunk yeah and that one i mean that's that's your argument for the fourth official right like the the guys were just too far behind trailing there's no way that they can get into position to see that and, and we didn't see it live either malcolm brogdon saw it and he was asking for a, a double dribble uh but yeah Kawhi actually he low-key kind of gets away with more little violations like that than anyone like he'll lift up his pivot foot a lot of times not get called for it with some of his footwork moves so that's uh that's neither here nor there uh, but just there should probably be a fourth fish i thought the refs overall did a very good job though i mean that's that to me was really the only egregious missed call during uh, the period uh, other the period. other than jump balls they were terrible <laughs> yeah well yeah the execution <laughs> of the jump balls yeah there was another bad one in like in one of the tips for the overtime too yeah i think um, i think yeah i think that was in maybe yeah it was maybe overtime too it was but that that Giannis Kawhi one was otherworldly bad so nonetheless after lopez tip in milwaukee still within one Kawhi then drives into three guys and turns it around his passing was very hit or miss in this game and he did have five assists in the first half finished with five assists so he didn't have any assists in uh, the last 34 minutes of the game and you know he was not looking to pass it certainly they're trying to run the time down a lot of these situations he was exhausted but i thought he missed some real opportunities to find guys or if you'd see him it would be a beat late and ben taylor just came out with a video on him and one of the things he noticed about him is he's a capable passer when he the play develops right in front of him but he doesn't really have a good idea of oh i see that this defender is here so i know that my teammate is in this area even though i can't see it and i know i can turn and pass it to this guy particularly that'll show up when he's playing high pick and roll and he'll miss the pop man out for a three when the center goes and double teams him so it's a lot of times if his head is not facing that way he doesn't know that okay well if this guy rotated over let me go find this guy's man the guy has to be open right in front of him. and he'll make some good passes in those situations but you know that was certainly one where he dribbled into a lot of trouble and but then he sure as hell made up for it with that unbelievable play they run a, a side pick and roll get the switch of Kawhi off of Middleton Middleton tries to back down on Van Vliet who's a pretty stout post defender Kawhi goes to double makes Middleton pick up his dribble gets back in the passing lane deflects it there's a loose ball Brogdon gets his hand on it first tries to start dribbling and then Kawhi takes it away from him too and, and goes down and dunks it and gives him a three-point lead it was really just one of the best defensive plays you're ever going to see and I don't know where it was that Kawhi got the energy to play this kind of defense in the second overtime maybe once Giannis smelled out he really smelled blood or, or fouled out he really smelled blood and w- was able to realize that he was the most athletic guy on the floor and, and could really take advantage but I, it was incredible I mean the guy looked like he couldn't even run 
at times in this game. Even after that that big second Kawhi dunk in the second overtime, the Bucks had a, had a couple chances to to bring it close. Malcolm Brogdon gets fouled by Siakam, and despite being a historically great free throw shooter earlier in this season, he splits. So then instead of it being a one point deficit, it is a two point deficit. Siakam catches Brook Lopez after a, a lost possession for the Raptors, and then Kawhi C- catches Brook Lopez. What do you mean? Well, but he blocked, blocked a shot. Yeah, yeah. Recover, well, and, and that play, that was just an incredible play. Oh, because it was amazing. The, like, they ran a pick and pop. Middleton, who I thought threw some really nice passes in this game, gets it back to Lopez. Lopez on the drive. His drive game has been very good in this series. And Siakam came over and just blocked it at the top of the square. It was awesome. He then careened into Lopez. And that's what led to Kawhi pushing it up against Brogdon. There was no rim protector back there. And we were like, I can't believe they're going to go way too early again with a, a two-point lead and they could have run the time down. And instead, Kawhi goes to that beautiful fit, sp- fake spin move on the right. You can tell I've been talking too much today. I'm like tripping over myself constantly. And gets the layup really uh, to ice it. Although Milwaukee still had a little bit of time down two possessions. Teams have come back from that before. But then unbelievable Toronto pressure for First, they trap Middleton on the side and make him take uh, the Bucks last time out. And then they pressure up again and force Middleton into a backcourt violation. It was really uh, just a great capper for this Raptors team and, and incredible Raptors defense uh, overall in this game to do what they did to Giannis uh, and Milwaukee throughout the game. Anything that you're looking for going forward in this series now? I'm not stumping for Serge Baca to start over, over Marcus Ole, at least not for now. I no, mean, no Mar- we, Marcus- we were at, that was the number one uh, thing that we recommend i thought ibaka was pretty good defensively in this game uh but he only ended up with with 14 minutes and, and was two of nine from the field so yeah gasol was also and that was the biggest difference i mean gasol having a good game his first of the series i mean that's probably the number one thing you can point to beside Kawhi's defense on Giannis as to why they won also this was another game where milwaukee's best three-point shooters just missed a bunch of them and and middleton's i would say were more contested than miritich's were miritich one for seven from three mostly clean looks he had a couple in I think that was the second overtime once Giannis fouled out that could that could have really been difference makers there and Milwaukee's bench guys made their threes but that that's worth keeping an eye on and you know it can really be a make or miss league at moments like that you don't want to see you know say that it boils down to that but it, it will at times and I want to see what if any counters Milwaukee has to try to get other guys on Giannis more often you know like run, running running some screens trying to do everything else and then that's also a circumstance where Giannis his lack of a pull-up jump shot is a real problem because you you don't want to give him a, a running lane but there are ways that you can handle him differently than some of the other dynamic players in this league and i'm glad you brought that up we should have talked about that more that they really didn't run any plays for Giannis at all in half court offense and Correct. Giannis had a couple of free throws you know he had the that he missed i don't think he scored he might not have scored in the in the last 15 minutes of the game well including of course the time that he fouled out and you know only five made field goals but he's not uh, until he gets that jump shot it is hard to just go to him on a lot of plays especially since he'd been so ineffective with Kawhi Garnett I think that was part of it too of why they went in other directions but here's the problem when you're not going to him now his lack of of spacing can be a little bit of a problem for you and if he's not going to be able to contribute on the offensive glass necessarily or you're not going to involve him in pick and roll and, and because 
they had Siakam on Bledsoe or whoever the primary pick and roll threat was they were able to switch that pretty well so this will be an interesting nut to crack here they do have experience some but Kawhi Leonard can actually get through a screen if needed or and Toronto has more switchable athletes and just overall more athleticism I thought what they did in terms of taking away interior pass <coughs> excuse me passes was awesome in this game uh getting deflections like they, they are a much better defensive team than Boston was and so this will be you know Giannis had kind of his moment in game one of that Celtics series he overcame they dominated the rest of that series now another challenge for him against the best perimeter defender of our age in Kawhi Leonard and someone who is uniquely gifted to cause problems for him presumably the Raptors are going to stick with that against him and you know one of the things that they did was setting a screen with whoever the smallest guy was was guarding on Toronto to get Giannis into the lane you know that they had some success with that in the Celtics series too screening him to the free throw line letting him attack uh, but until he gets the jump shot it is a little bit harder for Giannis especially at the end of games to make it his presence felt um you know Lopez had to play a lot of minutes in this one I thought he was solid but he ended up at negative 16 one thing they might try and do is go a little bit smaller maybe they try to boost the offense you go with Giannis at the five Miritich at the four you can do maybe s- some more switching that way and then Middleton Brogdon Bledsoe perhaps they would consider starting Brogdon rather than Miritich that would be a possibility uh but you know Miritich is probably a better shooter than Lopez although Lopez is pretty darn good too and Lopez provides better help defense so I'm not sure that that's necessarily an option but maybe you see more of Miritich and Giannis together to try to get a little bit more space for Giannis to work but you know I'm not sure I mean I think he might just have to actually attack Kawhi more and beat him you know maybe that's really what it's going to come down to here um I do think Milwaukee needs to do more to get Bledsoe working as well I thought Toronto did a great job of pre-switching Gasol out of a lot of pick and rolls Milwaukee doesn't run a lot of stuff and that makes them relatively predictable when they're not in transition and so Toronto is able to get guys in a position where they need to be get helpers around there a very smart defensive team uh and then you know even guys like Green Van Vliet Lowry those guards are able to make very good help defense plays Danny Green in particular is maybe the best help defender as a two guard in the NBA I don't know anything else that sticks out to you that you might want to see on Milwaukee's side here I don't think I have anything else for Toronto we'll see what Kawhi's health is and they're asking just so much for him he played seven more minutes than he's ever played in a game tonight what his fatigue level is going to be and uh with the, that left what appeared to be a, a left quad injury but i would still like to see more especially when george hill is in the game rather than Bledsoe. more screens to try and get that switch of hill onto Kawhi. more cross screens for Kawhi leonard as well try to get middleton off him set that screen with the, whoever hill is guarding or even if it's broad and try and get him deeper post position because he you know he seems to be too exhausted to actually fight to get the ball at his spots less crashing the offensive glass you know, better transition defense I, I think w- would be huge if you're Milwaukee maybe you set more screens for Giannis with Kyle Lowry's man or Fred Van Vliet's man but even those guys are not you know those guys are not Kyrie Irving like they, they are intense they will, will get into Giannis and then the hard double teams really worked as well when Giannis had an advantage matchup against someone who wasn't Kawhi so Milwaukee he's gonna have to be ready for that get a little bit better of spacing for Giannis uh, to make some reads but yeah it's uh I think overall though schematically there's not that much I can point to other than some of the stuff they did in the Celtics series it's just Giannis is gonna have to play better he's gonna have to beat Kawhi he's gonna have to beat 
Embiid who's guarding him he's gonna have to make the passes that, that are available and you know for a large part of this game Milwaukee shot it pretty well from three they only made four threes in the second half and overtime but they made 10 in the first half that kept them in it, it you know Toronto really could have had a blowout here in the first half had it not been for Milwaukee shooting it well it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens in game four and you know I, I still think Milwaukee is a substantial favorite here but a lot more optimism that Toronto can at least make them really really work for it than we had after the first two games this has a much different feel to me than game one which felt kind of unsustainable from Toronto's standpoint that they're even that close because they shot it extremely well from three in the first half yeah I would agree with that and game four will be will be clarifying I mean Milwaukee wins that one 3-0 sorry 3-1 in this series is is absolutely commanding especially considering how well they they played in a large portion of the series here's an interesting stat for you by the way I, I tweeted this out earlier worth noting since there is a slight possibility that we may encounter this situation in this series in five game series where the home team i'm sorry i I misspoke in five game series where one team trails three games to two the trailing team is 27 and 162 all time but in series where a team wins the first two at home and then loses the next three to trail three to two which that would be the case here if toronto gets a three two lead somehow they win the next two games in this series in those situations the home team in the series that's trailing three to two is actually eight and seven in the series more times has that team won two in a row to take the series than the road team has been able to close them out so that shows you even if toronto can get it back to two two even if they can get it to three two going home for a game six historically they still would be underdogs in the series that shows you just how high of a mountain they have to climb uh and you know there's a reason why the stats are what they are about going up two zero in a series all right well i know this is fascinating but uh please stick around for the miami heat offseason preview tons of flexibility here for the miami heat but uh yeah sorry we have to put some of these teams that aren't quite as exciting next to these exciting playoff games otherwise no one will listen to the show first though i want to remind you that you could have watched this classic game on hulu which now has live sports for just 45 dollars a month 60 plus top channels your favorite teams the biggest games live sports news hulu has uh paid people a lot of money to tell you that including me i of course can't compete with their real celebrity endorsers yana senanakupo the only player to ever get a signature slipper deal that says hulu has live sports they got joel Embiid to change his nickname from the process to joel hulu has live sports Embiid, and damian lillard got a tattoo that says hulu has live sports they did a pretty good job of picking out these spokespeople considering uh the way they have all figured quite prominently in these playoffs hulu wants to know that they have live sports Giannis, dame and joel want you to know that they have live sports i would like you to know that they have live sports they also have awesome original programming as well pen 15 it's one of my favorite comedies they have the whole seinfeld catalog as well follow your teams all season no cable required live tv plan required restrictions apply learn more at hulu.com oh i have a quick topic we could talk about though uh we'll, we'll keep it short but who would be your mvp of the playoffs right now we got asked this uh, on the nba cast but we can maybe expound upon it a little bit more here there are to be two significant contenders now if if kevin durant had stayed healthy there would have been three but Giannis and Kawhi both have strong cases and Giannis has been amazing on both ends of the floor overall i mean the dominance that they showed not only in their first round just evisceration of the detroit pistons but the boston celtics 
despite some chemistry issues, have a lot of talent. And they the Bucks just ran through them after game one. But the reason why I would go with Kawhi, it's a close call. I mean, I'm I'm very high on Giannis Haben forever, is because the combination of the the workload that he has offensively and that he's played meaningfully more minutes. Now there is an e- easy counter to that because it's paralleling Steph Curry and James Harden back in the 14-15 season, Curry's first MVP. That part of the reason Giannis has played m- many fewer minutes than Kawhi is because per game is that the Bucks were winning so cleanly that he didn't need to play more. But, you know, there's value there and we've seen how both of these teams have struggled without their guys and so Kawhi playing more, it helps. But it's close. I mean, you're splitting hairs between those two for me. Yeah, I think so. KD obviously was awesome to start. He tapered off a little bit in that Rocket series by the end, but you know, kind of kept them in games three and four single-handedly. And you know, a 38-point first half against the Clippers in a game six on the road was pretty impressive. I would agree with you. I'd probably go with Kawhi just because of the massive shots that, that he's hit. And you know, Giannis has had a couple of stinkers now, that game one against the Celtics, this one. And also you have to factor in the level of competition. I think Orlando is significantly better than that Detroit team that they played without Blake Griffin, especially defensively. Uh, and Kawhi, just his stats are better uh, than Giannis's also. Um, you know, Giannis has probably provided a little more defensive value, to be sure. And uh, Steph Curry, you know, he started that Clippers series with an unbelievable game and a half. Then they switched up their defense to take him away. And that's when KD really got going, you know, after KD had kind of had that those two wallflower games. And then he made the I'm Kevin Durant declaration. But then as soon as KD went out, he had a massive end of game five to take that away from Houston, that 33 point second half in game six. And then in this Portland series, again, against not a real high quality conference finals level of defense, he's got 109 points on 71 shots in the series. He's averaging 36 points a game in in the West finals. That's uh, pretty darn good, especially when you consider the efficiency and how he's been driving every aspect of their offense. But he just had was too patchy early in that Houston series and late in the Clippers series where, yeah, he, he does have a lot of effects in terms of his gravity and, and the overall offense, but his own individual offense was pretty poor at times. So yeah, I, I would probably go with Kawhi as well, but Giannis certainly can be in position to grab that uh, with the series victory uh, against the Raptors. And, and Kawhi had a really rough game one and looked pretty rough at, at times in this game too, but he did just enough. He, I mean, when you consider how inefficient the rest of his team was, he, he was pretty good. And then the massive defense that he had on Giannis in this game too I mean that is really one of the great all-around performances in just a war of a game that we've seen all right let's talk uh some Miami Heat here where do they go into the offseason it's a challenge for them I mean we're going to assume or at least I'll, I'll think about it for right now that my assumption is that Hassan Whiteside is going to pick up his 27.1 million dollar player uh, option yeah I think we could probably make that assumption but I don't think Warren Dragic gets the voice I expect him to pick up his option but at 19.2 but you know there's there's a chance maybe he just just looking for something different maybe maybe but from what we know right now they're going to be well I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there this way with the guarantee with the total salaries of their players I expect them to keep Derek Jones Jr. He has a minimum non-guarantee. He played very well for them last year. I would be surprised if they didn't pick that up. If the options go, then if you count Ryan Anderson at his full value, Miami is $8.3 million above the luxury tax threshold. But if you move him down, Ryan Anderson is only partially guaranteed. Never give up guaranteed money, kids. He, he reduced that to equalize with Brandon Knight's salary to facilitate the trade from Houston to 
Phoenix, not his most recent trade, but the one before that. So if you move Anderson down to that partial guaranteed amount, then that once particularly daunting tax bill, that drops down to $2.6 million. Now, remember, that doesn't include any additions, mid-level exception or otherwise. But if they're that close, one of the things that Miami could do, theoretically, is stretch Anderson. The problem there is that Pat Riley has been very forthright about Miami's intention of being players in 2020. And when you stretch a player, you're transferring two, in this case, his expiring contract, you're transferring two-thirds of that money onto subsidies seasons so they'd be adding over five million to their books for 2020 yeah and that could really matter assuming james johnson and kelly linick opt into their player options in the summer of 2020 they're looking at about 30 million in space if they stretch anderson 35 if they don't so that's probably your difference between having max room or not having it and and a quick interjection there remember that stretch salary is the is the real only immovable obligation in the oh, NBA. Yeah. so there's there's no magic that you can do their amazing front office can't they can't magic that away you know that's that's not something that can be done maybe they can do something with some of their other salary and another part that is important to consider with ryan anderson is that miami is almost legendarily asset poor they owe their own second round picks other than 2022 which they still have for some reason they owe every single pick until 2024 and in 2024 they'll probably keep it they would have to be one of the five best teams in the league at that point to to lose it to cleveland but those plus that unprotected first, which was originally sent to Phoenix for Goran Dragic and is now bounced around. It went to Philly, then it went to the Clippers and Tobias Harris trade. That is a big one in terms of the Stepien rule because Miami then, they can't pre-trade their 2019 pick. They could trade it after it is chosen because the Stepien rule doesn't count, but they also can't trade a future first round pick until 2023. Well, they could trade their 2019 pick right now. Oh yeah, you're right because that wouldn't they wouldn't be without it two years in a row. You're right. They could they could could yeah. pre-trade it yeah because it only looks into the future the fact that they didn't have it yeah because it wouldn't be it wouldn't be two years yeah. in a row that's that's the reason that it's it's fine yeah yeah i mean it doesn't matter what happened in the past it's only looking forward and they have right. it two years in a row so yeah so yeah they can't trade 2020 20, but they, can they can't trade, trade 2019 20. yeah and i mean they've got a lot of difficult salary on the books to take you through that james johnson two years left at 15 million per kelly olenic two years left at 13 million per Dion waiters two years left at 12 million per and just Winslow starting a three-year $39 million extension. So he's $13 million out three years now as well. So those are, and then of course you've got Whiteside at 27 and Dragic at 19. Now maybe the plan is just going to be, and Miami returned an absurd percentage of their minutes from guys who were on the team last year to this year because they had almost no flexibility and made no major additions. Well, yeah, let me note there that there was that crazy run. It ended up changing very late in the offseason where not only had they not signed any of any other teams for agents, but nobody had signed any of theirs either, which was super weird. But then that, I think that cha- it took all the way into August for that to change. Yeah, so Dwayne Wade has retired, obviously. Unclear whether Udonis Haslam will be back for another year or not. They've got some non-guarantees to make a decision on. Derek Jones Jr., you imagine he will be back 
for sure uh making 1.6 million this season they've also got yante Martin, duncan robinson and kendrick nunn all of those guys signed basically at the very end of the year once they knew that they weren't going to be in the tax and those guys have two non-guaranteed years going forward uh i i don't have their guarantee dates in there yet but i imagine they're pretty darn late um yeah i mean the tax is going to be interesting it's just going to be a question of what decision gets made here of and if they stretch anderson or not to really open up more room to try and win now or do they just view this as a total consolidation year essentially they were being talked about as a potential mike conley destination do you think that they have the goods to go get mike conley no well what okay so so let's say they yeah let's say they traded hassan whiteside and the 13th pick that's a better pick than indiana or utah could offer and they got a big expiring contract to go back whiteside probably ends up getting bought out in memphis although he actually I mean, it will depend Valanciunas, but yeah yeah i mean but you know maybe he would be, be a part of their team um like, it wouldn't shock me or if maybe that maybe were the best they, offer or maybe if they theoretically i i don't think memphis would have a ton of interest in goran dragic but maybe they could move goran dragic to somebody who would have an interest in him and use some of that as a part of it as well i think you could do a three-way trade maybe yeah yeah no that would i mean i don't know that dragic gets you a first round i mean dragic no, I don't had, think he does 36 games last year 52 percent true shooting um did shoot it well from three but it was not the same force driving and i don't know where his health is going to be at for this is age 33 season uh but it was not the same force getting the basket his uh all-star selection was probably one of the weakest in recent memory the year before but maybe that still has some cachet something else i want to mention we, we've talked about anderson a couple of times the rubber will meet the road fairly early on his guarantee date so where it goes from 15.6 million to the full value is july 10th according to eric pinkus of basketball insiders so they'll probably know the main things that's after the end of the moratorium but it's still a really big decision to make especially considering it's going to be hard for them to move him it will we'll get a big clarification on how pat riley sees their their future so difficult to imagine a situation in which they could use more than the mini mid level what do you think this team needs overall first and then maybe we can talk about uh some potential candidates there. i mean the one thing they do have is pretty good depth here and I, even in terms of you know other than a higher i mean that's the thing for them is it's like they don't have any huge holes that they can fill to upgrade unless you just get someone who's way more talented than is probably gonna be available in free agency because they've got pretty good depth up and down the roster at this point the two things i could point to are shooting and shot creation it was still bizarre to me to see wayne ellington have moments in time where he was just really underutilized considering how huge he had been in the 17-18 season maybe he was dealing with some some injuries or something else but shot creation remember Dwayne Wade had a big role on this team this most recent season he is gone but I mean I'll tell you this though like he was bad defensively and he had like 51% true shooting and so true like yeah yeah but but you need somebody to you need somebody to do that and I mean that's true but I think he's almost low enough in terms of efficiency that you could just find someone else who could do that who could do just as good a job as him sure but you need to actually find somebody to do that I mean no no, that's true well they do have waiters you know maybe after a full season he can come back but he'll probably be even less efficient than wade was uh better defensively though maybe and, and josh richardson could take another yeah, step I mean, forward richardson and dragic are gonna i think have a lot of the offensive burden on them and dragic has all this injury stuff and richardson i like him better as a complimentary player he showed more with the ball in his hands this past year but it's just not all the way there for me so yeah that i would look for something more in that vein but remember when it's the the, 
level of depth that they have, that player is going to have to really be able to play to stick on the to stick on the court because they have a lot of good guys. And maybe they'll just put the ball in Justice Winslow's hands more. But that doesn't solve the shooting problems necessarily. Yeah, well, Tyreek Evans might have been an interesting one for them, but he is off the board now uh, for two years. Um, you know, they really have plenty of three and D type of wings. Even that after they moved on from Rodney Magruder by waving him and getting under the tax when he was claimed by the Clippers and what appeared to be a uh, premeditated move. I think Derek Rose will have more of a market than the Heat would be able to afford. And this, again, they may not, they may just try to stay out of the tax and not even use uh, the mini mid-level. Jeremy Lin could maybe be an option. Some of the teams, some of the guys we've talked about for some of these teams like Orlando, these teams that need more shot creation. I, I agree with you that that's probably their number one need at this point. Um, you know, S- Seth Curry could be another one too, just to, to get the that one knockdown shooter on the team. Maybe someone can run a, a little bit of pick and roll. Austin Rivers, a, another one I think uh, could be a decent fit. Maybe Gerald Green to kind of play that Ellington role for this group. Uh, I don't know who else comes to mind for you. I wonder if they could roll the dice. I don't think he'd be like a huge part of the rotation, but on one of those, like kind of like a maybe Troy Daniels, somebody who can shoot, but you're not going to commit a ton of money to him. I don't think of him as a mid-level guy, but just a, a flyer they could do. What do you, how do you feel about Reggie Bullock there? I think he's pretty duplicative of, of what else they have. And I, I, his price range could be a little higher than that's possible. Too. They want to go, and especially because they may be limiting themselves to just a one-year deal here at the mini mid level for just under six million to start with because of those 2020 aspirations they talked about i think after last year they won 44 games lost in the first round maybe they felt like all right if things break right we can improve our defense these young guys improve our vets stay viable we could get up to maybe being a 50 win team i think those delusions of grandeur uh, have passed now uh, for them so i would guess they're a little more realistic about just what they can accomplish here and that they're just going to prioritize future seasons a little more which uh, a philosophy which has been in short supply of late in miami um a couple other just kind of low-cost flyer types they might give a shot to jr smith who will be on the market at some point uh though he'll be 33 he hasn't played effectively in a couple of years could be interesting isaiah thomas destination uh they've got a lot of other defenders behind him he's another one who could create some shots trey burke kind of falls into that mold for them as a fringier guy as well alec burks can create a little bit off the dribble he could be a semi-interesting one lance stevenson but i think that's kind of the level of guys we're talking about here but because they have other aspects in place you can go with these one-dimensional shot creator types and you just hope that you can make up for their other deficiencies with the rest of your roster center they're pretty much set you know they got Olinick and Whiteside and bam out of bio that's they're fine there so probably don't really need any more reinforcements in that area wouldn't recommend a substantial amount of resources i mean really and, at forward, and they're, they're fine too yeah i mean they're pretty loaded at forward johnson winslow i mean even though people talk about winslow oh he's a, he can be a point guard you still i think you still want him defending forwards yeah. ideally so then then he's a forward yeah and they got josh richardson who can play plenty of three as well uh I could imagine them benefiting from a just it would be a low like a low cost guy but just a a floor spacing floor spacing guy is another look because especially if Olenek is taking on a larger role maybe he's playing some center just having another guy who can who can fill that but I I wouldn't pay significant money for that it's more just try to find somebody at the minimum um any as Ethan would say fat is potential in disguise guys who could get into the Miami conditioning program and really improve on the board for you I've wondered about 
about Emmanuel Moutier there a couple of times. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah. I like that one. He could create some shots too. And, and he's probably going to get his qualifying offer. I mean, he's almost definitely going to get his qualifying offer declined by the Knicks. So I, I mean, yeah, they probably won't even extend it because if I were him, no. I, I would probably just take Sign it immediately. It. Yeah, exactly. So uh, he's one. Um, I've got one for you. Okay. Not sure whether I would say he's like fat necessarily. Well, actually, no, there's two guys. Uh, one of these guys is a little fatter. One of them just has not been able to get his career going. Uh, Stanley Johnson and Justin Anderson. I would expect both those guys also to be non-tendered for a restricted free agency uh, and then therefore being unrestricted free agents. On the not on track scenario, I was thinking about whether Miami could be a good situation. He'll be restricted, but maybe restricted for Patrick McCaw. Huh. Yeah. Uh, McCaw, I mean, he's been away from the team again for personal reasons that are, are, are unspecified. I think there's just a lot of weird shit going on with, with McCaw. Also, uh, very possible. Oh, I've got another one for you here, Danny. They actually might be able to use this person, Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. If, I mean, I can't really if think. If he of, wants to continue if, his career. If he wants point. to continue his career, I think that would be probably, off the top of my head, that would be the best the best NBA place for him to do so. Another guy I could see them looking at, uh, well, I, I, I'm not in their heads, but that I think it might make sense for them to look at uh, would be Trey Lyles mm-hmm. as a restricted free agent, just to, to try and get some low cost flyers that they can develop. They've had a lot of success with these type of guys. I, uh, I, am, am I the only one that's a little bit sad? Obviously, I'm happy that he did better in Washington, but I would have loved to have seen Jabari Parker on the Heat. Yeah, I'm not sure they can afford him, to be honest. Oh, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's played himself out of being a Heat. I mean, who knows? It wouldn't shock me if he's in that range. But I, I think he can at least get more. You know, I could see Jabari getting, you know, 12 to Oh, so, someone's going to pay for a guy who can score like he can. It's just It feels like it's yeah. going to happen. You know, like, there's this group of players in the league who I wouldn't pay, but I'm sure someone will. And he's yeah. pretty firmly in that camp. Like, Zach Randolph was there two years ago. Yeah, all right. I think that's all I got in these guys. Yeah, same for me. Uh, I'll, I'll Before we leave, I should have my Cavs offseason preview. That should be out at The Athletic at some point on monday i'm putting the finishing touches on it right after we record this and we will not be doing the nba cast for game four of warriors blazers but we will be back for game four of raptors bucks and of course we will be recording on on monday night's game though we will not be doing the nba cast. yeah if it's a total warriors blowout maybe we won't but i don't know i guess there's only so many games less than the season right yeah. so uh we'll, we'll, we'll see we'll, we'll i'm assess. not guaranteeing yeah it. yeah, yeah. If, if we just have nothing to say on it then maybe we'll i mean because we've already got two episodes in this week so we got to take a break at some point during the week all right thanks for staying with us here this was a, a lot of fun fun game to do today and uh we'll be back if not tomorrow later in the week till then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 